creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm Annie J. Pizza, I'm a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator, and I will be your guide on this creative expedition. Let's go. What do you do when it's just not working anymore? That phrase, even as I said it, I felt it, man, because... Goodness gracious, things and times, they are a-changing, as old uh, Bob Dylan would say. Um, They are changing, and whether it's things aren't working inside you, like you're not as inspired as you used to be, the way that you approach the work just isn't working anymore, you're blocked creatively, You're, you're, you're no longer interested in the things that used to interest you and make you excited, or maybe you just find that you're still into it, but the world isn't, and the algorithms changed, and the apps have changed, and the behaviors changed, and the cultural norms and feelings have shifted. What do you do when you find yourself in that space where what used to work doesn't work anymore? Today on the show, we're gonna talk about when things go cold, How do you start to heat it up again? And if you stay all the way to the end, I'm gonna tell you about a practice called Feel the Burn. Feel the Burn. That is going to help you do things in your everyday life to get out of that dead end, to course correct and open up a few extra pathways leading into a, a better place in the future. Let's get into it. So what do you do when things go ice cold? There's really nothing scarier in your creative practice. Like I, when things go extremely cold, I would, uh, you know, pray for a dumpster fire to, to, to put out. Cold is just the worst, whether it's your inspiration, your creativity is cold, your inbox goes cold, your social media goes cold. You know, you were getting hundreds of likes and now it's 10 likes. You were in a season of selling thousands of prints and now you're sat on huge stacks of paper and you're just burning them to stay warm because things have really got that cold. Or maybe it's even worse because it's more personal than that. Maybe it's your creative community has gone cold. I know in my life and the life of people I know, the lives of people I know, that we've all experienced a kind of social cold in a way where there's just been a lot of shakeups. A lot of people have moved. A lot of communities have changed. The way that we get together has completely evolved and even dissolved. And for a lot of us, our creative support networks have gone stone cold overnight. What do you do when you're in that situation? Well, I know in the past, what I would have told you is, why don't you sign up to some classes? Why don't you get on some online groups and join a conference and go to a local meetup? Like, get out there, man. And I still think that those are valid things. And perhaps that is, in some manner, what needs to be done. 
But I want to acknowledge something different because if we don't, I don't think we're going to actually be able to tackle it properly. And I want to acknowledge that when things get really, really cold, when you get left out in the cold for a long time... I can't feel my fingers anymore. They're, they're, They're numb. Jumping back into those places can be extremely painful to the point where if it goes wrong, you may never give it another shot. And I just want to acknowledge that how you enter this and the way back into those creative spaces and and heating back up, you really do need to be careful and you do need to be mindful about how you approach it. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Now, the coldest cold I ever experienced in real life, like real life cold, was in Jamestown, New York, which is where I lived in middle school. My family and I had moved from Indiana to western New York. It's just kind of south of Buffalo, Jamestown, when I was a couple months into my first year of middle school, and I was just devastated, and rightfully so. I mean, it's it was a heck of a challenge to move in the middle of your first year in middle school. And uh, I, and also, I remember when they told me, they're like, hey, we're moving to Western New York. I just could not get into my head, because I'd never been there, that 
Western New York has more in common with Indiana than it does Manhattan. Like I just instantly pictured being on the mean streets of NYC and getting mugged and all this stuff. Cause when you think of New York and you've never been to greater New York, um, or maybe you've never been to New York city even, but when you think of New York, most people think of New York city and especially when you're 12 or 13 years old and I just wasn't buying it. My mind was closed. I did not want to go into this new zone and I went to bed sobbing, of course, you know, I think every kid that's had to had to uproot and move from their friends goes through that period of pain. And, uh, and yeah, I was, I couldn't imagine a different reality than the one that I was used to. Now, if you don't know, Western New York gets tons of snowfall. It's a lot colder than what I was used to. And they just would get ridiculous amounts of snowfall like I had never seen. There were so many days when I lived there where you'd wake up and the the whole world would be just covered in pounds and pounds of snow and you'd still go to school because guess what? They were used to this. This was their normal. And so they had all of the systems to get the roads clear or whatever. You almost never got a snow day for snowfall. You got a snow day if it was just so cold and icy that you couldn't make it into school, but snow did not stop them whatsoever. And I was fortunate enough to live close by to some kids my age and they had lived there their whole life. And when the first big snowfall hit, they came to my door, knocked on my door. We're like, Hey, are there any friends in here in this new house? Uh, Cause kids do things differently. And I was there and they were, they were like, Hey, do you want to go to the giant hill at the high school where everybody's going to be sledding? And I was like, absolutely. And I got my stuff and I got out there and their dad took us to the high school and dropped us off. And um, for about 20 minutes, we were having the time of our lives. But then it just got colder and wetter and colder than I've ever experienced in my life. Now, the other kids were cold, but they were used to this cold. Their whole family was into skiing and they had thermal wear and waterproofs, things I didn't even know existed. And I had never experienced anything like that. And I was desperately cold. And since it was the early 2000s, we didn't even have phones and we just had to wait until their dad decided we'd had enough. And so we tried huddling together and hiding behind the school to block the wind and nothing was working. And I just started panicking. I was panicky cold, desperately cold. And so at first we hid behind this little dumpster and then we got real desperate. Yeah, we got into that smelly, empty metal box and we just camped out in the dumpster and waited for the dad to come back and for us to be rescued. Boy, what would I have given for a dumpster fire in that moment? Because I was just freezing my butt off. We were just dreaming of, you know, dumping hot cocoa on our heads and diving cannonballs into a hot bath and fuzzy blankets and, you know, just trying to stay alive. And, uh, after what seemed like an eternity, the dad showed up, we jumped in the car. And the second I got home, I just freaking skydived into a piping hot bath. Actually, no, I didn't. And you already know I didn't 
because I was freezing cold. And when you're freezing cold, you know this because you've been really cold before. You got to be careful about how you enter warmth. Even just like one big toe in a lukewarm bath can be pretty painful. You know this. You've experienced this. If you've been on this planet long enough to find a podcast, you know that if you get really freezing cold, even just a little bit of warmth can be painful, right? Like, and you know that, but did you know that the same is true in life in other areas, in areas of social reintegration? I recently heard about this thing called reentry syndrome. And it's this notion that when you have been lonely for a long time, when you've been out of touch, when you haven't been around people and in social scenarios on a regular basis, you can develop this thing called reentry syndrome where when you get back out there, you have this extreme sensitivity. And it's like, even when people are trying to be nice, it can feel like they're kind of insulting you. And if you don't know this, if you're not aware of this phenomenon, you might not realize that this is what's happening and you might not stick around long enough to get to the other side of it. And I think that's where some of the power is in this scenario today, when things go cold in your creative life, when they go cold in your community and you try to open up, if you're not expecting a little bit of pain, you're going to run back to those comfort zones, even if that comfort zone is a dumpster, like a literal dumpster. So what if you are out in the cold creatively or socially, not because there's no warmth available, but because this is your first time or you're unaware and you don't remember that when things get this cold, when you've been out in the cold for a long, long time, even a little bit of super essential, necessary warmth can feel like a burn, even a compliment can feel like a burn. If you're unaware of this reentry syndrome, if you're unaware that when you first tasted that creative expression, that new band, that new food, that new kind of film that you'd never experienced, you probably forgot that the first time you encountered that, it tasted like the first sip of beer you ever had or the first olive you ever had. That was a taste you had to acquire. When that first hit your lips, it didn't feel so good. It felt like a burn. And you had to push through that burn to let it heat up, to warm up to a new environment and new comfort zone. And so today, if you are in a state where your creativity has gone cold, my encouragement is that you would open yourself up to get burnt again. Uh, let's talk about how to do that. If you find yourself in a freezing cold creative dumpster praying for a dumpster fire when you're super burnout and you are longing for that burning passion again to return what do you do i think you do 
three things. So the first thing is you admit that you're lost. Girl, you know you're lost. I think that's more essential. Like we could just blow right by this and not call this out as its own point. But, but I think it's a significant thing to call out because the transition going from being at home in your creativity to being lost, even though you haven't moved, even though nothing's changed, the transition of energy is very significant and it takes a lot of intention. And that intention starts with saying, hey, this isn't working anymore. So on this show, we talk a lot about trusting your taste, trusting your own personal preferences and believing in them long enough to execute, to make decisions. If you don't trust your taste, you're not going to be able to get yourself to release any creative work or even worse, to make or finish any creative work because finishing creative work requires decisive action. And I think that that is in stark contrast to what researchers say is the key to creativity. So if you dive into any of the research, whether it's psychologists or neuroscientists or whatever, around creativity, and they are trying to determine what is the number one key, they're going to say, you're going to run into this idea of openness to experience. You've probably heard of it before, right? Uh, it, and it is exactly what it says it is. It's openness to experiences. People that are open to new experiences, people that don't get in grooves that turn into ruts, refusing to try any new food, try any new music, those types of people end up losing their creative impulses. And the people that remain open are the people that are open to creativity and new ideas. And that is essential. But I feel like maybe I just haven't understood the research fully. Like I'm assuming that they get to this, that that is the beginning of being creative. But in order to act upon it, in order to move from just trying new things and being open to all possibilities from that place of creative potential to realized creativity, you're going to have to make some decisions. You're going to have to go from that open mode to a closed mode. And I've heard John Cleese give lectures uh, on the internet uh, about this very idea. And there's a real emphasis on the openness and he talks about when they would write a script, how for, for Monty Python, how he would need to go into this zone of openness, openness to waste time, openness to play, openness to have fun. And there was a real emphasis on that side of the creative practice and process because for most adults, that is the hard part. But there is less of an emphasis on then moving from that open mode, that writing mode, that creative mode into another piece of the creative process that is as essential and in my opinion, just as creative, which is the closed mode, which is the editing, which is the decisiveness, which is I'm not taking any more information in. I'm not open to any other paths. In fact, I'm going to start whittling down and closing off 
possibilities and making choices about what this is going to be. And so for that reason, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about the idea of trusting your taste, trusting your point of view. However, I'd have to say in this episode, if you don't take away anything else, I want you to take away this. I think taste or openness is that they're both wrong, essentially. Uh, And to say it less dramatically, that they're both right. That it's not about whether you trust your taste or openness. And I want to add another layer of nuance because it's not good enough to say, yeah, they're both good. You need both of them. Like that doesn't help anybody. How do you actually do it? You have to discern which is necessary. What place are you in? If you're in the middle of some burning hot passion fire of creativity, you are going to have to trust your taste. When things are moving, when the river is flowing, you're going to have to roll with it. You're going to have to act on it. You're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to be decisive. When things have started to take on a life of their own, when you're in the middle of a big project with deadlines, it's not the time to open yourself up to other options and experiences. It's time to trust the taste that you've developed. But when those things have gone cold, it's up to you to discern this is a cold moment because I have gone as far as I can with this particular palette and it's time to open myself up to new experiences and taste new tastes and go into a new world. It's time for me to leave my comfort zone. And on this show, we talk about the hero's journey quite a bit. I find it to be a useful framework in all kinds of different manners, not just storytelling, but it was developed by or, or discovered by Joseph Campbell. And it was a story structure that he saw apparent in mythology throughout most cultures. And uh, there, there's plenty of things you could discredit or, or scrutinize. But I find it to be a great framework, not just for thinking about myth and story, but for thinking about our journeys as creative people. Because on this show, we are primarily concerned with the not just making one great, cool, shot-in-the-dark kind of thing, flash-in-the-pan kind of thing, but how do you cultivate and create a lifetime of work that you can be proud of? And that is a journey. That's not a destination. And so I take a lot from that, as you know, but the hero journey is really applicable here because what it's about is leaving home, going on a, a massive journey to find something new, and then bringing it back home. And another way of Conceptualizing that is your comfort zone is your home and then go, moving out of your comfort zone and then returning. And I think you're seeing this leave and return process in the creative process in an individual project, but as well in the greater process of your creative journey when you are trusting your taste, living uh, into your strengths, that's your home, that's your comfort zone. And when there's, when the comfort zone is no longer comfortable, it's on you 
to open yourself up to new experiences. It's on you to say yes to the call to going out there into the wild. And I like this quote, uh, crises precipitate change. I don't know where it originated really, but I heard it on the Deltron 3030 album, which I was a big fan of. I still am a big fan of. But it's this idea that most of the time, the hero's not going to say yes to a call just for the heck of it. There has to be pressure. There has to be crisis. The comfort zone has to become uncomfortable. And so when you're in that place where things have gone cold and things that used to work don't work anymore, all of a sudden home isn't so homey and it's time to get out there and open yourself up to experiences. And the last thing I want to say, and just as important, um, maybe more so than the thing I, I said, if you don't take anything else, take this, is that the key to the hero's journey and, and living your various cyclical hero's journeys well is not becoming the master of the adventure or learning to become a master of home. It is what Joseph Campbell calls being the master of both worlds. And the real key to an artist that is able to reinvent themselves over and over again and go from hot to cold to hot to cold and maintain a level of integrity and and intrigue through all of those ups and downs. It's not about trusting your taste. It's not about being open to experience. It's about learning how to navigate being a master of both of those worlds and recognize which in this moment is what you need to lean into. And if you're in a very cold, uncomfortable place that used to be comfortable, it's time to open yourself up. It's time to admit that you're lost, that you need someone to help you show the way. You don't have all the answers. And that brings us to the second thing that we need to dive into, which is after you admit you're lost, then you got to find someone who knows the way. Number two is finding a guide. Okay, so the second piece to this, when you find yourself in a cold place and you're trying to heat back up, after you've admitted you're lost, it's time to find someone who's not lost. It's time to find a guide. So what does this mean? It really, I personally think, is about humbling yourself, which is increasingly harder to do the more success you've had. I think it's easy to convince yourself if you've had any level of success and the bigger success, uh, the, the more difficult this makes it, it's easy to convince yourself that that success is 100% due to your insight, intuition, and taste. And you may even forget that that taste at one point or another came from somebody who had better taste than you or that there was a time when you didn't have great taste and you didn't know where you were going. And so I think it's worth just pausing for a minute and looking back and thinking, 
where did the the taste that I have now that informs the work I do now, where did that originally come from? So when I was growing up, I got all of my music recommendations, all of my musical taste from my older brother. brother. And that's a story that you've probably heard a million times. Most people that even people, a lot of like musicians, I feel like you hear like, they got into really good music earlier than anybody else. Why? Because they had an older sibling that was cooler than them. That was their guide. That, that was the person that showed them all of this incredible stuff and got them into it earlier. Now, my older brother, I mean, I think I respect his taste. I think that uh, he's got a very good sense of what he likes and what he doesn't like. And in retrospect, I think a lot of the stuff that he was into has tons of really good merit, but all the stuff he got me into was gangster rap and R and B nineties kind of R and B and, uh, you know, Tupac, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, boys to men, Joe to see all of that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I've come full circle. I've returned home in all kinds of ways. And I see a lot of value in artistry and there, I mean, especially probably, I mean, the, the like Tupac, especially, I think is just, uh, was an artist on a different level. And, um, and, and a lot of those guys were doing things that were just completely brilliant. Um, and I will fight you tooth and nail to defend my boy's uh, my boys to men, Nathan, Michael, Sean, and Wanye. I'll, I'll go to the grave fighting for their, uh, I mean, those harmonies. Good, good Lord. I mean, you can't argue with that. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but I grew up listening to that music. And I think in a way, the problem wasn't the artistry. It was just that to a degree, there were levels of it that were inauthentic. I would say, especially on the rap side, I was much more into the R&B emo, you know, I kind of think of R&B as like what emo is to punk. Um, I was always in the emo camp, you know? So the, I think the rap stuff didn't fully appeal to me on an authentic level. And I think that was the problem. And I remember when my boss, I was working at the movie theater and my boss was like, Hey, what kind of music do you like? And I was like, um, like, I don't know, mostly Tupac and boys to men, that kind of thing. And I remember him looking at me like, what the heck? And I don't think it was him making a judgment call like culturally. I think it was more just like it didn't add up to who he knew I was. And I think that kind of was the first bit of coldness that opened me up to be like, hmm, maybe I need to widen my horizons. And it's why when later on I, uh, I had a friend introduce me to indie music that ended up being a huge guiding light and burning fire for the first part of my creative journey, why I was open to that and why I was open to humbling myself before something I didn't understand before somebody who understood something better than I did. And I think that turning point is so essential. If you're in a cold place, I think that the, the thing you have to do is you have to admit that you're in a cold place and look for somebody who has some heat that has some insight and become a student to their directions. You have to find a creative Gandalf or Yoda, right? You have to find um, somebody who knows more than you and humble yourself before them long enough to learn something and, and grow and have that openness. Now I practice this on a pretty regular basis 
with my music taste now because I learned that process of discerning where, okay, my all of my playlists, all the thing I'm things I'm listening to, I'm repeating them over and over and I need to open myself up. And what that looks like for me, it's not a perfect system, but when I get there, I humble myself before pitchfork.com. Now, pitchfork.com, if you don't have any reference for that, they're kind of music snobs. There's definitely people that have a lot of problems with this site and for good reason. I think they can be harsh, especially in the past and, and a little bit pretentious at times. I hate to say it. And, you know, it's a, a collection of a bunch of different reviewers. So they're, uh, I think that they're probably all sorts in the mix. But when I find myself in a place where I'm listening to the same things over and over again and I've gone and, and nothing's doing it for me anymore, I will humble myself before Pitchfork, the gods of uh, music reviews, and I will just listen to every single best new album that they've they've deemed best new album of that year and i'll just listen to every single one of them start to finish until i'm fully caught up and yes there are plenty that i don't like there are plenty that i do like but the most powerful ones are the ones that i start not liking and over time develop a serious acquired taste because that is how things open up. That's where you get new neural pathways. That's where you get fresh inspiration. And so what would it look like in your own creative sphere to go on a mission to find your teacher that you can humble yourself before? I saw the same thing in a friend of mine, um, an internet friend of mine, illustrator Fran Erd, uh, who's on YouTube and has really great comic work. She did a similar thing a few years back where I think she went through Rolling Stones top 200 albums, maybe top 100 albums of all time. And just from start to finish, uh, listened to every single one of those albums because she felt like she didn't really have a good sense of music and she wanted to be educated and getting into that zone where you're willing to be educated is essential. Uh, and, and I think what's difficult as a stumbling block is when you don't understand that your creative uh, life has to have a heartbeat, has to have a pulse between knowing what you're doing and having no clue what you're doing. But I think when you understand that you need both of those at different times and you find yourself in a place where things aren't working, you can realize it's time to shift energies into a place where I become a beginner again and a student again. third piece of this is three, number three, turn the other cheek. But I'm not saying this in the traditional sense. So your call to adventure, your creative call to adventure, your CTA this week is to turn the other cheek. And I turn the other cheek. And what this looks like is find a guide, find someone who you can humble yourself before, trust them to the degree in which when you try something that they are suggesting, 
and you feel that initial burn, you've been out in the cold, you feel that burn, lean into it. Turn the other cheek and say, please, sir, can I have another? Because you have to let yourself climatize. You have to let yourself not like it for it to be painful initially. Now, I've told this story, I think, on the podcast before, so I won't go into uh, brutal detail, but once when I was really young, probably f- maybe four or five years old, I uh, my mom, who I believe has ADHD, um, and so I give her some credit here in terms of just terrible working memory, forgot to turn off the iron, uh, and I saw the iron on the ironing board, alone in a room, and for whatever reason, you know, I was open to experience. I, I, I just wanted to experience it all, you know, and uh, <laughs> and I thought, wonder what, and I assumed like, oh, I've ne- you know, I've never been left alone with a hot iron, so I just assumed like if this iron's just sitting here, it's going to be cold, and uh, I thought, I wonder what the cold steel of this iron feels like on my face, and I went over and I put that iron on my face. It, it burnt me. And it burnt me bad. But because I am open to experience, I thought, I better feel, I better try that one more time. <laughs> I turned my cheek <laughs> to the other cheek and I burnt my face on the other side. In reality, I think it's probably because I didn't realize, you know, I'd done it so quickly that I didn't realize that I burnt the other side. I'm trying to give myself any credit for not just being the kind of uh, (laughs) uh, deranged person who does that. I don't really know what happened, but suffice it to say, I burnt both sides. And Uh, that's the kind of openness to experience that I'm asking from you this week to turn the other cheek, to humble yourself before a guide. And when they give you stuff that hurts, go in for another, go in for another lashing. If you listen to an album and you weren't sure the first time, maybe you even hated it. What could you do to force yourself to listen again? Find those things that What was a movie that somebody recommended to you that you watched and you hated it and everyone else said it was amazing or these people that you trust said it was incredible? What would it look like to say, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. You know, there were a lot of albums when I was first getting into music where I'd listen to them then and they did not make sense because I didn't have the musical background. I didn't have the context. Even things like conceptual art. I remember when I first kind of, and this is most people, I think, in modern art spaces. Look, I think there's probably plenty of BS in modern art, but also there's just a lack of context. So when I first heard about uh, Duchamp's fountain, you know, where he put a urinal uh, into a gallery and called it art, when I first heard about that, when most people first hear about that, it feels like the most crass, stupid thing that you've ever heard of. That's how I think most regular non-creative civilians in the world hear about that and they just think they reject it outright. But when you understand the context in which he did that, you start to get a feel for why this was a statement worth making. 
And I'm not here to convince you that this was a brilliant act of creativity, but I am here to convince you to open yourself up to the idea that maybe you're not the authority on what is creative and what's not, what is great work and what's not, and to enter a period of time where you let go of your own personal taste and your own personal rules for how you determine whether something has merit and humble yourself before somebody else and try new things again. you would like a visual reminder for free to integrate both the acquired tastes that you have developed from having an openness to experience to the trusting your taste to the degree of integrating guilty pleasures, things that you love, even though you know they're terrible. For me, a good visual reminder is the creative diet pyramid that I created which shows you those two things and a few other things that make up your overall creative diet. And they can remind you, you need a healthy balance of all of these things, just like a old school 90s food pyramid. If you want to download my version of that, it's a two-page PDF. You can do that for free just by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com diet and enter your email address and you'll instantly be given the link right on that page to download uh, this thing that you can save and you can even print it out. For me personally, email is a necessary evil. I hate emails. So I will not send you unnecessary emails. You'll get one email a week that just tells you that the new episode is live when we have new episodes. And then just a handful of other times in the year, I will send you an email when we have really, really big news. Other than that, we're not going to spam you. I hate email. I would never do that to you. Okay. Just a quick recap of the episode, the three things to do when your work has gone cold, your inbox has gone cold, your burnout, and uh, you're stuck in that cold dumpster. The three things, number one is admit that things aren't working. It's harder than it sounds. Number two is find a guide. Find somebody who has some reason to have a higher perspective than you. Maybe they're on fire right now. Maybe they just uh, know something you don't. Find those guides, be it publications like Pitchfork or Rolling Stone or a person that you know or a friend of a friend set up a coffee date and just humble yourself before a teacher. And number three is turn the other cheek. Feel the burn and do it anyway. Go back to those things that somebody told you that you really trusted were great and it just didn't make sense to you and just listen to that album until something clicks. Uh, go back and turn the other cheek and feel the burn and do it anyway. Creative Pep Talk is your weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling picture book maker and illustrator for clients like Apple and Xbox. I pep talk teams at creative hubs like Warby Parker and Sesame Street and I make this podcast 
because as someone with ADHD, it takes a whole lot of creativity just to get out of bed in the morning, let alone attempting to try to create a thriving creative practice. This show is just me sharing the things that seem to be helping me in case it helps anybody else. Shout out to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and soundtrack. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pinning Beautiful for sound design and editing the show. Massive thanks to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds. And thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.